Before we jump into this week's episode, we wanted to let you know about an upcoming Facebook Live event with Peter Lightheart and Dr. Steve Jeffrey. This will be happening this Saturday, May 2nd at 1 p.m. Central Time, and will be on clarity and charity in a time of panic. Recent research in behavioral economics and psychology has revealed that our decisions are subject to systematic biases that lead to serious mistakes, misunderstandings, and errors of judgment. Christians are not immune from these biases. We often do a bad job of sifting the scientific wheat from the media chaff, and an even worse job of behaving charitably and responsibly when we engage with other believers who think differently. Perhaps a broader awareness of our cognitive biases may enable us as Christians to do a better job of evaluating scientific claims and handling matters of conscientious disagreement. To watch this discussion, please tune in at 1 p.m. Central Time this Saturday, May 2nd, on our Facebook page, which is linked in the show notes. And we look forward to seeing you there. Welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we are continuing on in our series on the life of Jacob with James Jordan. And here, Jordan's going to be in Genesis chapter 39, discussing the situation with Potiphar's wife. As always, do check out those links in the show notes, particularly the link to sign up for our newsletter in Medias Race. This is a quick newsletter we send out every Tuesday with articles, podcasts, videos, and updates on our work. And if you sign up with that link in the show notes, we will send you a free ebook from Peter Lightheart. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen to this episode, and we hope that you enjoy and are edified by it. And here is James Jordan in Genesis chapter 39, discussing Potiphar's wife and the life of Jacob. Genesis 39, I'll read from Fox's translation. Now when Yosef was brought down to Egypt, Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, the chief of the guard, an Egyptian man, acquired him from the hand of the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. And Yahweh was with Yosef, and he became a man of success, and he was in the house of his lord the Egyptian. His lord saw that Yahweh was with him, so that all he did Yahweh made succeed in his hands. Yosef found favor in his eyes, and he waited on him. He appointed him over his house, and all belonging to him he placed in his hands. And it came to pass, from when he had appointed him over his house and over all that belonged to him, that Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house because of Yosef. Yahweh's blessing was upon all that belonged to him in the house and in the fields. So he left all that was his in Yosef's hands, not concerning himself about anything with him there, except for the bread that he ate. Now Yosef was fair of form and fair to look at, and after these things it came to pass that his Lord's wife fixed her eyes upon Yosef and said, Lie with me. But he refused, and he said to his Lord's wife, Behold, my Lord need not concern himself with anything in the house with me here, and everything that belongs to him he has placed in my hands. He is no greater in this house than I, and has withheld nothing from me except for yourself, since you are his wife. So how could I do this great ill? I would be sinning against God. And it came to pass, as she spoke to Joseph day after day, that he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or be with her. So it came to pass on such a day, when he came into the house to do his work, and none of the house people was there in the house, that she grabbed him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled, escaping outside. And it came to pass, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, 
that she called in her house people. Notice that, her house people. And said to them, saying, Behold, look at this. He has brought to us a Hebrew man to play around with us. To Isaac with us is what it says. He came to me to lie with me. But I called out with a loud voice and came to pass. When he heard that I had lifted up my voice and called out that he left his garment beside me and fled, escaping outside. Now she had carefully arranged his garment beside her until his Lord came back to the house. And she spoke to him according to these words, saying, There came to me the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us to sport around with me. But it came to pass when I lifted up my voice and called out that he left his garment beside me and fled outside. And it came to pass when his Lord heard his wife's words, which she spoke to him, saying, According to these words your servant did to me, that his nostrils burned. Yosef's Lord took him and put him in the dungeon house. Actually, the round house is what it says. In the place where the king's prisoners are imprisoned. And while he was there in the round house, Yahweh was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. And he put his favor in the eyes of the dungeon warden. And the dungeon warden put in Yosef's hands all the prisoners that were in the dungeon house. And all that had to be done there, it was he that did it. The dungeon warden did not need to see to anything at all in his hands, since Yahweh was with him, and whatever he did, Yahweh made to succeed. Let's see if we can do this today. Huh. It's not that complicated a passage, but there are things that are interesting in it. And as always, I like to talk about the way it's organized so that you see how it's written. It may help you to remember it. There are two obvious parallel sections that are bookends here. And I think this is a section, and the chapter division is very nice. The first section, Joseph is with Potiphar, and Potiphar gives everything into his hands, and Potiphar doesn't concern himself about anything in his house because Joseph takes care of everything, and Joseph winds up being in charge. And exactly the same language is used for the jailer. At the end, if you'll look in the middle of page 188, I've got all these parallels. Most of the phrases are in the same order. Joseph is taken down to Egypt. Joseph put into the jail. That's the beginning. And it says, Yahweh was with Joseph. Yahweh was with Joseph. He was in the house. He was there in the jail. He finds favor in the sight. Everything is in his hand. He didn't concern himself. He didn't supervise. The Lord caused everything to prosper. The same phrases are repeated, almost all of them, and in the same order, so that we definitely have parallels there. And then we have the section where the wife casts her eyes upon Joseph, and then hidden from your eyes is the fact that when Potiphar is told all this about his wife, it says his nose burned. And in the middle of the passage, then I think those things are parallel. They're responses. There's burning on the part of the wife, and there's burning on the part of Potiphar. And then in the middle is the attack on Joseph, the two C-sections, and at the complete center, I think, well, everybody who analyzes this passage does it this way, who analyzes chiastically has the same outline, but I think that the center of the passage is the statement that the wife enlists her household behind her. And I think that there is a major misinterpretation in the minds of a lot of people about this passage because there's a failure to see that the wife is the one with all the power here. She's got power. She's even got power over Potiphar because she has her own household. So we'll get to that. There are some key terms that are repeated a bunch of times. If you read this out loud a couple of times, you start to hear them. If your translation gives you the same translation every time. If you're looking at the New American Standard or something, you have to run out to the margin to see the word hand 
But the word hand is repeated nine times here. Joseph is brought down from the hand of Ishmaelites, and then everything is in his hand in the house, and then the wife's hand reaches out and grabs his garment, and then he winds up in the jail, and everything else is put into his hand. And, of course, hand means power. The word garment occurs six times here. This is not the word tunic. It just means clothing in general. It's not specific. If your Bible says coat or cloak, that's not good enough. It could have been his undies that she pulls off. Just clothing that covers him is the idea in this general word. Now, what's really interesting here is the word Yahweh is used here, and the fact is, in the Joseph narrative, Yahweh is almost never used. We haven't talked about this yet, but it's only used three other times in Genesis 37 to 50. And it's used eight times here, and the word master, referring to Potiphar, is used eight times. And that's, I think, one of the themes in the passage. Who is really in charge of this situation? Joseph has an earthly master, and that's fine, and he's not a bad man. In fact, he's probably converted, as we'll see. But behind the scenes is the greater master, Yahweh himself, the covenant Lord. And the covenant theme comes up here. God is going to take care of Joseph because Joseph is carrying the covenant. And the Abrahamic covenant says something very specific about the Gentiles. What is it? In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wherever Joseph goes, Gentiles get blessed. And so that happens twice here, and then it happens again, of course, when he is made vizier of Egypt. So that's a major theme through here. But the other thing that's interesting is, it's just the general word for God that's used throughout most of these passages because that's the more general Gentile word. And we have, in the Joseph narrative, moved from the specific narrow history of the covenant people into this worldwide setting. And so we wind up with this more general Gentile name for God throughout chapters 37 to 50, and only occasionally the specific covenant name is used. But the heart of it is the covenant. God has made the covenant with Abraham and with the seed of Abraham, and Joseph is the seed of Abraham, and so there's a tremendous stress here in this passage on Yahweh, the covenant-making God, who is particularly taking care of Joseph for the sake of the Gentiles. God never called the Jews to be saved for their own sake. He called them so that they could serve others, and that's what Joseph is doing here. And then the word all is repeated a bunch of times. I tried to perfect the translation here by calling attention to it. All that Joseph did succeeded. All that was in the house was put in his hands. He appointed him over all that belonged to him. The Lord's blessing was on all that belonged to him. He left all in Joseph's hands. And then the jailer also repeatedly, all the prisoners are in his hand. All that was done there was done by him. The warden did not see to anything at all. And this idea that Joseph is in charge of everything, that all things are given into his hands. See, in Jesus' case, all things are given into his hands, and us through him. Joseph winds up at each point in charge of everything. Everything except the wife, or bread, as it's said here. And then in the jail, everything, so to speak, under his hand. And then at the end of chapter 41, 53 to 57... 
when we get there, we'll see the word all occurs a whole bunch of times. There was famine in all the earth. So all the people of the earth came to Joseph to buy bread. And the famine was over all the surface of the earth. And he opened all the storehouses and he gave out all the grain. And all the people came to Joseph because the famine was in all the lands. The word all occurs about ten times in those verses. So again, the idea of universal dominion and being in charge of everything is a theme. It comes from noticing how many times these words are used. So now let's read it and just take note of a few things as we go. Certainly a familiar story. Joseph and Potiphar here, the first section I have, verses 1 to 6a. So, Joseph was brought down to Egypt. Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, chief of the guard. It's probably the best translation. There's some dispute about what this man's office was, but considering that he's over the prison, chief of the guard seems to be exactly right. He is a palace official of Pharaoh. He's important. He's called an Egyptian man, and I think that that is there to stress for us that he's a Gentile, that he is one of the ones that Abraham's people are supposed to serve and convert And he buys him from the Ishmaelites. And so this resumes the narrative. That's where we left Joseph at the end of chapter 37. Meanwhile, the Medanites had sold him into Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's court official, chief of the palace guard. Now we have an introductory statement, introduction to the whole little story here. The Lord, Yahweh, was with Joseph, and he became a man of success. Now that's the story. The Lord was with him, and he became successful. How did this happen? What are the details? Tell us more. Okay. Well, to start with, he was in the house of his lord the Egyptian. He wasn't bought to be a field slave. He was working in the actual house. Potiphar apparently recognizes that Joseph can read and write. Not everybody could, but Joseph obviously could. He was the son of Jacob. He was, therefore, an accountant and knew how to keep books. And as a bookkeeper and an accountant... Potiphar puts him in the house and begins to entrust things to him. And then we have a very interesting statement in verse 3. His master saw that Yahweh was with him. Now, it doesn't say his master saw that everything Joseph did prospered. The master discerned that the God whose name is Yahweh was with him. And I think this points to the conversion of Potiphar. How would Potiphar know that it was Yahweh unless Joseph told him? Hey, Joseph, boy, it seems as if everything you do works out well. Well, Potiphar, that's because I worship Yahweh, the true God. Really? Is that right? We don't know how these conversations went. But whether we want to see it as full, total conversion, or at least some appreciation of this Yahweh God, it says Potiphar found out who Yahweh was, if he didn't already know. It's hard to know how much around the ancient Near East at this time, only a few centuries after the flood, people still knew. But he sees that the God Yahweh is with Joseph, and that's why Joseph is successful. And later on, we're going to see Potiphar appreciates Joseph enough to protect him from the attack of Potiphar's wife. So, in verse 4, Well, in verse 3, Potiphar sees that Yahweh is with him. And everything he does, Yahweh makes to succeed in his hand. So 
Yahweh is causing the covenant to become effective at this time. Blessing to the Gentiles through the seed of Abraham. God is making it succeed. God is with Joseph, therefore the Gentiles get blessed. Verse 4, Joseph found favor in his eyes, and he waited on him. He becomes a personal servant. He goes from being a slave to a personal servant. And he appointed him over his house. And all belonging to him he put in his hands. And then at the end of verse 5 it says, The Lord's blessing was on everything that belonged to him in the house and in the fields. So what is Joseph put in charge of here? Well, we can't know exactly what the limits are. He's in charge of the domestic house of Potiphar. That doesn't mean like our house today. It may well mean the various palace servants that belonged to Potiphar were under Joseph's supervision. It may be that Joseph had a place at court. It may be that since Potiphar was in charge of the palace guard, Joseph was in charge of the palace guard. We don't know how far it would go. It seems also to extend to the fields as well as the house, whatever extended properties this aristocrat had. So Joseph becomes important. This man has lots of servants. He is one of the most important officials in the Egyptian government. He's an aristocrat. He is a prince of some sort, or a duke, or an earl, and he has a lot. And Joseph is in charge of all of it. There's a lot of repetition here. Verse 5, It came to pass that from after the time he had appointed him over his house and over all that belonged to him, that Yahweh blessed the Egyptian's house because of Yosef. Now, that's as clear as you can make it. The Gentile is blessed because of the covenant people. And that's the whole plan. Yahweh's blessing was on all that belonged to him in the house and in the fields. And now we have the one exception. The one exception. And think right back to Genesis 2 and 3, folks. Where God says you can have everything in this garden. There's just one thing you can't eat. He left everything that was his in Joseph's hands. And not concerning himself about anything with him there. Except for the bread that he ate. One thing you can't have. One piece of food you can't have. Here's all these trees in this garden, Adam. And you can have all of them except this one over here. This is the one tree you're not supposed to eat of. This plastic tree here. You can't eat from this one. I'm looking at a plastic tree plant. Don't eat from this one. You can have all the rest. Potiphar. Same kind of test. The same test is coming up all the time in Genesis. We've seen it over and over again. Here it is. You're in charge of everything in the house. You are equal to me. Verse 9. He is no greater in this house than I am. In the margin of the New American Standard, Potiphar is not greater in the house than I, Joseph, am. We're equals in this house except for one thing. The bread. Now... Verse 9 says the one thing that's withheld from him is not bread, but his wife. And so many commentators suggest, and with good reason, that when it says he didn't concern about anything except the bread that he ate, that is a euphemism for his relationships with his wife. That's the one thing Joseph was not supposed to be involved with. Some, of course, have said, well, Egyptians don't eat with foreigners later on. When Joseph meets his brothers... 
Joseph eats with the Egyptians, and the brothers eat by themselves because the Egyptians don't eat with foreigners. But Joseph is not a foreigner at this point. He's a member of this household. He's Egyptian servant. He's not given the privilege to go off and eat by himself. I doubt if he has a beard. He's in Egypt. I don't think that works. There wouldn't be any separation of food. Or people have said, well, Potiphar, you know, he just liked to eat, so he was concerned about whether the food was good or not. But that doesn't seem to be the idea here. In context, it just seems to be a way of saying Joseph is in charge of everything except the wife. And eating bread is a euphemism, and it is in the Bible. That's true enough, and so I think that's most likely because Joseph does go on to say the one thing that I'm not in charge of, my lady, is you. So now we have kind of this test thing. The serpent is going to come and say, have some forbidden fruit, and this time Joseph is going to say no. Unlike Judah, and unlike so many others, Isaac, here are these two sons, he's told which one to bless and which one not to, and he refuses. This choice keeps coming up. Joseph will pass the test here. So now we come to the next part of the story, which I call the eyes of Potiphar's wife. 6b to 10, and I really think most commentators differ on whether this statement, Joseph was fair of form and fair to look at, should end the first paragraph or begin the next one, but it seems to me it begins the next one. It sets up what happens next. I've got down here in your notes, Potiphar's nose is going to burn in verse 19. And while burn is not used in this section here about the wife, the idea of burning lust, which is a biblical metaphor, is obvious. Burning is a word used for sexual lust. And there's an obvious structure here. The wife commands Joseph to lie with her. Joseph refuses. And then she continues to try to get Joseph, not commanding him, but just trying to cajole him. If she can't order him to do what she wants, then she'll try to seduce him. But nothing works. So that's the structure of the paragraph. Joseph's physical attractiveness initiates the problem. He's fair of form and fair to look at. This is a phrase that's only used one other time in the Bible, and that's for Joseph's mother, Rachel. It says that she was fair of form and fair to look at. I don't know exactly why, if there's anything in particular that's supposed to be done with that. But at any rate, it tells us that he was very handsome young man. And... This aristocrat woman who's used to getting anything she wants, who happens to be married to Potiphar, probably an arranged marriage, probably no particular love in this marriage. In fact, we're going to see that there's not. She commands Joseph, hey, you're a slave. Do what I say. Lie with me. This is a command. And Joseph says, well, I'm not your slave. (laughs) I'm Potiphar's slave. Verses 8 and 9. He refused. He said to his master's wife, Look, my Lord need not concern himself with anything in the house, with me here. Everything that belongs to him is placed in my hands. So his first argument is that Potiphar has entrusted everything to me, and I'm trustworthy, so I'm not going to do this. Then in verse 9 he says, He is not greater in this house than I am. I have as much authority around here as Potiphar does, according to him. Just as Pharaoh will give his signet ring to Joseph and say, You have all of my authority. We are equal. For most purposes. So now he says, I'm equal to Potiphar. He's withheld nothing from me except for you since you're his wife. So Potiphar has made it plain that I'm not supposed to do this. I don't have a relationship with you. Potiphar has a relationship with you. I don't. 
So that's the second thing he says. And then he says, how could I do this great thing? It would be sinning against God. So he brings up the God of creation here. Not Yahweh, but the God that the Gentiles would know. The God who is over everything. He uses that name, a name familiar to them. Well, that wasn't good enough for her. And so she tries to speak to Joseph day after day. She wants her to lie down next to her, to be with her. She can come on in here, Joseph, and watch this TV show with me. Come on, Joseph, just sit here on the sofa with me. Sit down over here. Lie down on the couch next to me here. Just trying to get him to be near enough to where she can mess with him. And, of course, we know what she intends to do because she does it. Now we come to the central sections, and these we can divide up because of the structure of them. The C section here, verses 11 and 12, Joseph comes into the house, she grabs his garment, he leaves the house. That's one event. Then very interestingly, in 13 to 15, it says, He left his garment in her hand and fled outside. But when she tells the story, she says, He left his garment beside me and fled outside. In other words, I didn't take it off, he took it off because he was trying to attack me. That's the bracket of that little section there. And she's telling her household about this. She's enlisting her people. And then when she talks to Potiphar here in the C prime section 16 to 18, it starts off by saying that she carefully laid the garment right next to her there. She positioned it. She set it out. And then she ends by saying again that Joseph left his garment beside me. So trying to blame him for something she did. So we just have three little sections here. In in verses 11 and 12, Joseph is physically attacked. And we'll read that again. It came to pass on such and such a day. He came into the house to do his work, and none of the house people was there in the house. So there's no witnesses to this. She grabbed him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled outside. Two things there that we've talked about before. One is... The whole business of the hand is in this passage. His hand has been powerful. His hand is over everything. But now we find out her hand is stronger. Her hand is able to take away all of his power and authority, which is symbolized by the garment. The garment represents power and authority just as the hand does. He loses his position. This is the second garment that is torn off of him by an enemy. The first one, of course, by his brothers. So now Joseph doesn't have enough power. This woman, this serpent in the garden, has the power. So now God has to protect Joseph from her, and Potiphar is the one who will do that. It's a good idea to witness to your boss, because if somebody attacks you, your boss can maybe protect you. And that's what happens here. Well, now we find what I think is the center of the passage, where we see that she has power. Joseph has power. He's given everything into his hand. Now the wife has power. And then at the end of the passage, Joseph has power again, but in the jail. The wife enlists her household in verses 13 to 15. And she tells them this story. The opening and closing phrases are identical, but for one change, the wife says that Joseph took off the garment himself. We just looked at that. Verse 13 begins, It came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside. But at the end of it, verse 15, it says, It came to pass when he heard I lifted up my voice and called out that he left his garment beside me and fled. 
escaping outside. He took his clothes off and attacked me, and he left his clothes because I screamed. And the other thing that I am emphasizing, it says she called the men of her household, verse 14. She called in her house people, or more accurately, the men of her household. We have to understand, this is an aristocrat lady. She's got her own servants. She's got her own family. She's got her own clan. She's got her own people. And it's going to be her word against Joseph. And there's no question about who Potiphar has to believe, even though he knows better. But what does she say to her people? She blames Potiphar. Behold, he has brought to us a Hebrew man to play around with us. How is it written here in this translation? She called the men of her household and said to him, Look here, he has brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. He came in to lie with me and I screamed. Well now, she's blaming Potiphar. And of course, you can imagine that Joseph was probably resented by some of the other servants. He's an outsider. How long has he been there? Well, maybe at this point, ten years. But he's young. He's a whole lot younger than a lot of these other retainers are. And he's in charge of them. And I imagine that the members of her own retinue like Joseph even less than some of Potiphar's servants do. Who is this kid? So she can appeal to that, but she blames Potiphar. Look at what Potiphar's done. Look what this idiot husband of mine has done. Then she says, and you can't see this, of course, she brought to us a Hebrew man to sport with us, to play around with us. In Hebrew it says to Isaac with us, to Yitzchak. And I don't think that's an accident. It comes up twice here. This word Yitzchak or Isaac has a range of meanings from laughter to mockery to sexual play. And I think it's the entendres that are in view here. She brings in this man to mock us, is what specifically it would mean here. She just made a mockery of all of us by bringing in this boy, this foreign boy, and putting him in charge of everybody. Don't you feel angry about this, you other servants? Well, sure, some of them do, I'm sure. So she enlists them. But, of course, the word can also mean sexual play, and that's what she is going to accuse Joseph of. So, remember the statement when it says, Abimelech saw Isaac sporting with his wife, Rebekah. Isaac, Isaacing with his wife, Rebekah. Way back when we started this, we looked at that. Your Bible probably translates it, Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah, or something. But whatever they were involved in, kissing, squeezing, hugging, making out, Abimelech can see that they're married. He says, look, I can tell you guys are married by what you're doing. So this word Yitzhak or Isaac can mean laughter, it can mean mockery, it can also mean cutting up with your wife. And so this is the word that's used here. And he's accused of being another Isaac. And we've looked at that a little bit, that what Isaac failed to do, in a sense, Joseph does. He resists the temptations that Isaac fell into. And way back when we talked about that a little bit. So I don't think there's any accident that this is the word that's particularly chosen here. And I wanted to bring it to your attention because you'll never see it. Your English translation can't show you that. So now we find out who has the power. She's got her own bunch of people here. She's able to tell this story. She says, I called out with a loud voice. And when he heard me call out with my voice, then he ran away. Well, they don't know whether she called out with her voice or not. They weren't in the house. She says she did. And she says she scared him off. 
by screaming. But they don't know that. So who are you going to believe? Foreign servant, aristocratic lady. Well, there's no doubt who you're going to probably believe. And even if you don't believe her, if you're Potiphar and you've got this marriage to this wealthy, powerful woman, you can't just get up in public and say, she's a liar. What's he going to do? What's Potiphar going to do? We'll see that she accuses Potiphar and makes him mad, but there's nothing he can do about it. Uh-huh. Uh, interesting note here, Jim. I know the text doesn't say it, but I can imagine uh, what was going through her mind once Pharaoh elevated Joseph up to oh, yeah. command. He probably is a little nervous. Yeah, later on when Joseph becomes important in court, I don't think this woman was probably real happy about it. But I think Potiphar was. Not only not unhappy, but I imagine nervous because yeah. I'd be afraid of what he might, he might do to her. Yeah. That's part of the story that we're not told. Yeah. <laughs> now we find the third little scene here in the center is where she accuses him to her husband. And this is another attack, only this time it's an attack by false witness. Verse 16, Fox says she kept his garment beside her. This one says she left his garment beside her. The Hebrew is she arranged, she she set it there, she carefully put it in place. It's the word used for laying a foundation of a house. It's not something you just slop out, and it's not an accident. She put it right there and just got everything all set up so that when Potiphar came home, she could jump down his throat. She arranged his garment beside her until his master came back. And then she spoke to him according to these words, saying, There came to me the Hebrew servant to play around with me. No, that's not what she says. She says, There came to me the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us to Isaac around with me. How's it said over here? The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me. I was real clear. She's blaming Potiphar. You brought this boy in. Look what he did. This is your fault. She's chewing him out. You can imagine this. You could dramatize this on TV real easy. But the point is, she accuses Potiphar, and that's what makes Potiphar mad. I don't think Potiphar believed for one second that Joseph had done this. If he had, Joseph would have been put to death. A slave tries to rape a free woman? You don't put him in prison. You certainly don't put him in the nicest country club prison that there is in Egypt. You put him to death, slowly, painfully, over several days, cutting off one inch at a time of each of his fingers, day after day. That's how you put to death a slave who tries to rape a free woman. No, Potiphar doesn't believe for one second that she's telling the truth, and she is accusing him, and I think it's clear enough by his response here in verse 19. It came to pass when his master heard his wife's words that she spoke to him, saying, According to these words, your servant did to me. What makes him mad is not, Joseph did this to me, the servant did it to me, the Hebrew did to me, but your servant did to me. Notice the text tells us the relevant thing here. When he heard these things, his nostrils burned, his nose burned. That's the Hebrew expression for becoming really mad. Because that's what people do in many cultures. We say their nostrils flared when people are angry. Their expression is, his nose became fiery red, his nose burned. 
Potiphar is angry, but not at Joseph. What makes him angry is her statement, this is what your slave did to me. Throughout this entire passage, she's been out to accuse Potiphar. And we can read behind the scenes here without too much trouble. I mean, she's jockeying for more power in this household as much as anything else. This is just one more opportunity to put Potiphar down and get more for herself since nothing else worked out. And since the wife has her own household and there is no evidence and it's just Joseph's word against hers, Potiphar declines to punish her. But there's nothing he can do. But he does protect Joseph. And that's very clear. Because the next sentence tells you that he's put out in the country club prison. Joseph's Lord took him and put him in the dungeon house or round house. Dungeon is... Hebrew obscure, it says here in the footnote of the Fox translation. What's it got over here? Put him into the jail. See, they're just leaving it as jail. The place where king's prisoners are imprisoned. Well, gee, what kind of prisoners are in there? Guys who are being tortured? No. Guys like the baker and the cupbearer, as we'll see in the next chapter. Important people who are just being kept there for a while. He doesn't throw him into debtor's prison. He doesn't throw him into a pit. He doesn't send him off to the salt mines. There's lots of different kinds of prisons. Joseph is in the nicest kind of prison there is. There's another reason why Potiphar puts him there. Of course, Potiphar is in charge of this prison. Potiphar is the overseer of this particular prison, as it's Seth in chapter 40, verse 3. Pharaoh put his chief baker and cupbearer in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, the dungeon house, roundhouse, the place where Joseph was imprisoned. And the captain of the bodyguard appointed Joseph over them. Translated, Potiphar appointed Joseph over them. So Potiphar keeps Joseph. He says, well, Joe, sorry I can't keep you in charge of the house anymore, but I'm going to have to put you in prison, but I'll put you in charge of the prison. And that's not as nice, but at least you'll be taken care of there. And if you can please the jailer over there, and I'm sure you can, Joseph. It'll probably go okay for you. And that's the best I can do for you because there's nothing I can do about this woman. And notice how the story ends. The Lord was with Joseph. Yahweh was with Joseph. Verse 21. And extended favor to him, and he put his favor in the eyes of the roundhouse jailer. And the jailer of the roundhouse put in Joseph's hands all the prisoners that were in the roundhouse. And it came to pass that all that was done there, it was Joseph who did it. And the roundhouse jailer did not see to anything at all in his hands since the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made succeed. Well, just think about that. If you are in charge of all the other prisoners, you're going to have good food. You're going to have a nice room. Joseph is in the best position of any of the prisoners in the country club prison. He's got an office right next to the jailer's office. And he's in charge of all of them. Now, I'm sure it was not terribly super pleasant compared to being in Potiphar's house, but it's not a pit. And that's the important thing to understand here as we read it, to know that Potiphar is not doing anything more to Joseph than he can possibly avoid doing. He doesn't believe his wife. She's the sinner here. He knows it. And because the Lord is with Joseph and with Potiphar, Joseph is protected. But, of course, now we have... Another bad situation. Joseph has to get out of this, just as he had to get out of the pit later on. And 
to that, we will turn our attention next week. Any closing comments or questions? Yeah, in chapter 12 it says, In you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And so here's Potiphar's family or household. It's blessed because Joseph is there and Joseph is doing right. We've already seen it to some extent. Isaac digs these wells and the Gentiles benefit from the wells that Isaac digs. And Abraham builds altars and leads them in worship. But the climax of that theme is here with Joseph. Later on, Joseph will tell his father and brothers, he will say, the Lord made me a father to Pharaoh. And that fulfills the statement to Abraham, you will be a father of many nations. So before it's done, Abraham becomes the father of the Egyptian nation as well as the father of the Israelite nation. So all of these fulfillments of the Abrahamic covenant are coming up here in this story, but this is the primary one. Because Yahweh, the covenant-making God, is with Joseph, then all these blessings come to these Gentiles. Oh, I'm sure he was, yeah. Yeah, I, I think, as we'll see in the next chapter, they were aware of all the things that had happened before. The reason Joseph knows about what the birds coming down and eating the bread means is because he knows about Genesis 15, where the birds come down and try to eat the sacrifices. He knows what birds mean in dreams. <laughs> if you dream about birds, you know what it means. Joseph knows that. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.